Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Weather swinging here back and forth, so I've got pollen all over the place. Thankfully, my allergies aren't bothering me too bad today. They were it was getting pretty bad last night. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, that I'm about to be hunkered down in my home office uh, in Maryland. They have not delivered a stay-at-home order, but they have called all businesses today as of the recording to be closed down starting at 5 o'clock. And for all we know, uh, podcast listeners that listen to this a year from now, this could still be relevant. But uh, we have no idea, to be frank. Uh, yes, we're not quite as far along, at least as far as I know here in Georgia, but um, there has been significant shutdowns of things, schools, I uh, heard the local military base was doing pretty wide closures. Uh, there's talk that one of the hospitals, uh, major hospitals with administrative stuff is going to be closing, you know, non-essential, what they would term as non-essential parts. But uh, yeah, this, these are really weird times. They are indeed. So. One thing with that they have uh, closed down a lot of is they've closed down a lot of what I would have thought would have been access to, uh, you know, the ability to get really, really inebriated for teenagers. But uh, it's funny, I followed a lot of the uh, stories uh, online, and it appears that there's been a lot, a lot of efforts by young people to make sure that they can still continue to do some of the uh, poor choices that teenagers uh, do I know that uh, there's been a lot of teenagers on beaches and states where it's illegal to go basically out of your house at all. I suspect with that there's been teenagers still getting out of the house and going and partying with their buddies. Would you imagine that's been the case? I do. Yeah, I've uh, I told you the other day we we're talking on the phone, but I've got a neighbor who works at a package store, and they've been doing significant sales in the last couple of days uh, with everybody being at home and people homeschooling their kids and working from home and doing, turning over a lot of cash um, kind of like they would during the masters, but just there's no golf patrons here. So uh, I imagine there's alcohol aplenty and people that are um, not supposed to be drinking illegally are finding ways to do it. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, how common do you think teen alcohol consumption is in our present situation in the United States? I would imagine it's very high. I mean, I know when we were in high school, it was, and I was going to a, a private Christian school like you, and there was a lot of it going on. So I imagine that's probably either stayed the same or accelerated some. Yeah. So I've done some research on this for the podcast specifically. And some stats I found are, are kind of shocking, uh, maybe not so much to some people, but uh, one uh, survey said that 78% of teens to have had alcohol at some point in their life. So, And then this is being asked, the teens that are in, specifically in high school, 78% of high schoolers have had alcohol at one point in their life. Uh, and half of teens uh, drink at least monthly at least once a month they will drink alcohol. 
and actually, this might seem high, but uh, this is not the most relevant of our podcast in terms of uh, in terms of severity of the problems right now because the numbers are actually slightly down among uh, teens today. That that the numbers of those who've drunk uh, drinking alcohol in the past have sometimes risen above eighty or eighty five percent of teens. So uh, now but, they can't get off their phones. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So it is hard to tell different numbers, the true numbers of church kids that drink alcohol, but they're probably high. And most sources that have attempted to kind of deal with that have shown that they believe that there's a lot of church kids that do drink alcohol, but it's really hard to know for sure what number of, of kids that go to church drink alcohol. Yeah, that's good. Re- I mean, I, I had not dug into it like you had but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of church kids are doing it as well all right ben then with this topic of alcohol why are teens more prone to drinking in extremes and why do you think that this is worse in america i think one reason is that because teenagers could be stupid but i mean more specifically they're not as wise or as self-controlled, and so they can make decisions that are foolish. There can be a desire for some to kind of stick it to the man. If if someone doesn't want us to do this, then we're gonna we're gonna do just that. And so people are experimenting with things and this and that. I, I think in America we have a higher legal drinking age than some other countries, and so I think that's part of it. Um, maybe something about our prohibition. In the past, I really don't know that much about other countries and how they've done prohibition. I, I doubt in Europe that that was a thing. Um, you know, in America, we kind of have the the go big or go home mentality, um, <laughs> and so I mean, I'm who knows that may factor in there somehow. But uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, so that is, it is very true that teens do uh, drink in extremes. In fact, one stat I found said that 90% of drinking among teenagers is by binging. 90% of the consumption of alcohol among teenagers is binge drinking, which means kind of drinking to the point of getting very, very drunk. So, uh, and, and which is troubling, like that's much higher than the general population, the general population. I think it's actually slightly higher than half of drinking is, uh, binge drinking in America, which is sad, but I think teens are prone to pushing boundaries and behaving recklessly there. There's no question about that. I mean, we both would agree that a teen doesn't have to be like that and can be extremely mature, but they're often prone to be that. Uh, in America, this is also more of an exciting taboo than in other places. And I think sometimes for reasons like you mentioned, because, you know, I mean, if you live in Germany, uh, having a beer at 15 years old or whatever, you know, I actually don't know what the drinking age there is, but, you know, uh, that having a beer at 17, 18 years old in a lot of countries, even in Mexico, Mexico, the drinking age is 18, is not really a big, you know, taboo. Hmm. So, uh, but what does the Bible say about drunkenness? And I think this is an area where we're both going to, and our listeners are going to strongly agree. And then we might get into some more touchy ground from there. So brace yourselves, listeners. (laughs) Well, first off, the Bible says that drunkenness is sinful. Um, It says, don't do it. Don't be filled. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. 
Uh, it gives some other more practical looks at it. And that's one of the things I love about scripture. You see this a lot in Deuteronomy, but it's not limited to Deuteronomy. You get instructions, but it's not just always these bare commands, just do this or don't do this because I said it. There's often, you know, when we talk to Dan Estes about Proverbs, there's different methods of teaching. And so in Proverbs, you get instruction about alcohol, the dangers of alcohol and drunkenness. Uh, And there's an appeal and it shows the lack of uh, wisdom and the consequences that can come, uh, the the trouble that can come for the drunkard and for others uh, around him and that, that he's connected with. And so it, it warns and not, not just giving the bare command, but it gives some incentive on why you should listen because of what could happen. Uh, and it's not like the scare tactic kind of thing, um, but at the same time, it is showing that there are real consequences. Yeah. So I I do want to cite some specific passages, you know, Uh, you've talked about, I think, a lot of biblical principles and alluded to some passages, but some passages that also came directly to my mind is that as both Old Testament and New Testament are pretty clearly against getting drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. We need to use that term debauchery more, don't you think, Ben? I do. That, uh, and Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. And you kind of alluded to that a little bit. Uh, that uh, And the Bible even goes that in Galatians 5, 21, so far as it suggests that drunkenness is such a sin that it could lead to damnation, as with really any sin. And it says, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, and and I think one other verse actually kind of helps us understand uh, drunkenness. And First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, uh, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, which is actually not a passage that directly is about uh, drinking alcohol. It's about uh, being sober-minded, but I think it goes into the principle of why being drunk is a problem, because God wants us to constantly have clear heads, uh, be able, be constantly able and prepared to be in spiritual battle. Uh, and you can't do that when you're tanked. Uh, you can't really even <laughs> do that when you're tipsy, to be frank. So to use the uh, the terms that people use in those communities. It's a good point. I, uh, was, as you were talking, I, I remembered, I think I'd seen something just this morning, a friend of mine posted on Facebook and she came downstairs and her husband and her, I think he's 10 or 11 year old son were reading their Bibles. And pretty soon the voice said, mom, I learned a valuable lesson today reading about Noah and his sons. So what's that? He said, if you drink too much and get drunk, you could find yourself naked in front of people. So <laughs> there's yet another lesson that's very true. And his dad said, that's a solid truth, son. Remember that. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So, uh, (laughs) so we, we did kind of get to that uh, in the past few minutes, but why is drunkenness a sin anyway? I mean, does it really hurt anyone in most cases? Well, you just brought up the ability to be clear headed, to make moral, rational decisions at your best. And when we come under the control of something else that can overtake us, uh, like alcohol, and you're dealing with sinful fallen beings as well. And so um, it's just helps those 
those sins to come out. I mean, some people get funny, some people get aggressive, um, all kinds of things get exposed when we're under the control of something else. And, uh, you know, there, it does hurt people. There's a lot of anecdotes and studies to, you know, to demonstrate the family breakdown that can happen, the violence that can take place uh, domestically or, or otherwise, um, abuses of different kinds, death through, you know, just murdering someone, uh, fighting, uh, drunk driving, uh, loss of property. I mean, th there is a long list of things that can cause uh, or they can be the result of drunkenness. Yeah, uh, those are some good points. Uh, a couple other things I want to add. Actually, even relating to that idea of lowering inhibitions and you mentioning it. So I think with many things, people can sometimes have an attitude that something made me do it. You know, I, I behaved this way because I was drunk or, you know, I behaved this way because I didn't sleep enough. Uh, but the Bible actually does show us that these kind of things actually all that they do is kind of lower our ability to respond to the sin that's in our heart. And so uh, people that are drunk behave and do stupid things because the stupid things are in their heart, uh, right. but they don't really have the system in place then to adequately stop that from coming out. You know, I might uh, think uh, think about somebody who cuts me off uh, in the on my drive, I might think in my heart, man, that guy's a dummy, that real dummy. Get out of the way, dummy. You know, a, a sinful thought. Uh, my inhibitions are what keeps me from uh, rolling down my window and yelling, hey, dummy, get out of the way. And sometimes having a lot of alcohol in you disables that kind of inhibitions in a really <laughs> bad way. So, yeah, I mean, we do make a lot of bad decisions when we get drunk. Uh, but even that, I, I think even when we don't, even when we're by ourselves, we just can't fight sin in those same kind of ways. So, uh, you know, and you mentioned even the driving thing. It's fascinating to me because I do know a lot of people that drink, drink a lot and drink um, a ton when they drink. And almost everyone I know who drinks uh, to a significant degree, you know, will admit that at least on one occasion that they have gotten behind the wheel uh, with a little bit too much to drink, with more than the legal limit. So when we act like, you know, this is just kind of the extreme degree, and, real and I've actually read some studies that have shown the majority of people that routinely drink uh, to get drunk, that, dr you know, get drink enough to get drunk on multiple occasions a month will in fact get behind the wheel when they're when they have a too much alcohol in the system it's just what people do uh and then another an historical thing my history nerd self uh, brings up uh prohibition which we'll get to in a little bit but uh Prohibition came into existence because women's rights groups were understandably against alcohol. That was the first group that was really against drinking alcohol and extremes. And it was the reason why that was the case is because a lot of men were going and getting drunk and beating their wives and, you know, and doing other horrible things. And so as a result, th this alcohol actually allowed great uh, societal ills to happen. Mm. So, but that's yeah. I, I figured that you would have dug into the history of that, and uh, yeah, it's certainly good motivations there. Oh, I'm not done, brother. Oh. <laughs> not history. No, we'll get to more. So, what additional moral issues are at play with teen drinking? Because you know, uh, I think the Bible is clear about not getting drunk for adults, but I think that there's more at play with teen drinking. Do you believe that's the case? Yes, I do. Uh, first of all, their age, they are 
whether they're a believer or not, they are to be obedient to the governing authorities, as Romans 13 tells us, uh, and other places in Scripture. I mean, there's just the – First Peter talks about that, uh, about honoring the emperor and obeying the emperor, and we're talking you know, Nero is likely the emperor. Uh, and so someone may think the law is dumb, but it's still the law. It may, in some cases, involve parental disobedience as well in getting the alcohol and then giving it to their child. And often they don't just have a you know drinking party with their kid. They get it for them and their friends. And just it can there's issues of high risk behavior. Again, you got people with even less decision making skill being intoxicated, their inhibitions are lower, and their sin, they haven't learned how to harness all that. And so making high-risk, uh, engaging in high-risk behavior, they could have life-altering consequences. So yeah, there's it's it's an even bigger problem, though yeah. adult drunkenness is, is certainly an issue. Yeah, those are some good points. Uh, two other things I would add is I think often in teen drinking, Fear of man plays a significant role. I think a lot of teens uh, become drunk. I think they drink alcohol because they want to impress their friends. And and the Bible talks about that as fear of man and trying to live uh, for the approval of other people. So I think that is a real moral issue at stake here. Uh, but also, it is actually medically bad for adolescents. These rules are not pointless rules about uh, drinking at 21. I mean, I don't know what, what age it substantially hinders you, but I mean, we do know, and doctors have long known, that teens drinking at too young of an age, it can actually hinder the, their ability to properly grow and, and develop in the way that God intended them to. So, I mean, it's foolish. Yeah, I did. I was not aware of that. Though, I mean, it shouldn't surprise us when science and other things back up the wisdom of what God has said. Yeah, and I'm sure to a significant degree that refers to drinking, uh, in in a l- large amounts rather than you know, every once in a while having a drink at a wedding. I, I would, yeah, I would assume so. So, how does our culture celebrate teen inebriation, Ben, or do you think it doesn't? Uh, I think there's an expectation that it will happen, and so you can, you know, hear jokes about it just in common conversation every day. You may see in media or, or music. Um, I mean, I, I typically am not viewing things that are um, have a bunch of teenagers in it. Um, when I was younger, I'd probably watch more movies that had teenagers in it. Um, yeah, and you, you'd see that kind of thing, parties, but... Yeah, I think there's just a general expectation and kind of laughing. Oh, that was, you know, back when when I was like that or um, just a boy kind of thing uh, and the kind of other stuff that can go with that. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, you're, you're more closely working with students and yeah. teenagers. How do you see it? By the way, you mentioned with the teen stuff, and a lot of what we're talking about is more teen-focused than most of our podcasts. But listeners, this is really relevant because uh, there is some evidence that uh, children in our children's ministry uh, start this. You know, I I know very well an experience where somebody started drinking a decent bit before they would have been in a youth group. Uh, so just keep that in mind, listeners. Uh, but some examples I can think of, actually, is re- really every college comedy in existence, no matter if it's rated R or PG-13, features uh, teen drinking underage prominently. 
and, you know, our high school comedy in that way. Even, you know, a more tame ones that we don't think about. So um, I, we, we, I love Spider-Man movies, of course. You know that. Uh, you know, my son loves Spider-Man as well. And there was a movie a couple years ago that came out called Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. And this movie, uh, Spider-Man is, I think, 15 years old in the movie, 15 or 16 years old. And he goes to a party uh, to kind of impress uh, a girl and, you know, be with his friends. And, you know, they have a teen party and there are no adults there and there are red solo cups. And, I mean... Every person that's 14 and up watching the movie knows that it's not water in the red solo cups. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just true <laughs> that nobody's nobody's whiffing out some RC Cola or anything like that. So, uh, But, you know, even another case. So there was a show on Netflix uh, that came out about a year and a, about two years ago uh, that brought some, some significant responses among youth leaders about some of its lessons related to actually approval of suicide in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we overlooked, and I know a lot of youth leaders and children's ministry leaders that watch this show because of that, uh, to be able to respond to it. But what was almost always overlooked was in every other episode, of the, I only saw the first season because to be frank, I thought it was unwatchably bad too. Uh, the <laughs> every other episode, teens were getting like tanked, and it was uh, getting significantly intoxicated, and it was not being treated as a moral problem by any stretch of the imagination. Mm. So, I mean, I think another thing even is like you know you have another aspect is you, you if you watch the Super Bowl, I mean you watch a su- any any year Super Bowl is going to feature alcohol really. And the idea of consuming a lot of alcohol in one or two ads or maybe even more as something that's like really attractive or really, you know, cool and, and get makes you popular. And, and I, I don't think that those ads are intentionally driven towards teenagers, but there's a lot of evidence that those kinds of ads really do affect teenagers and encourage teenagers to participate in this kind of extreme alcohol consumption. Debauchery, as you were saying earlier. Debauchery, yeah. So, now, do you think fear a man plays any role in teen drinking? Obviously, I do. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned already we all want acceptance to some degree, and when we're teenagers, that's probably heightened. We've got this, you know, we think everybody's looking at us. You get a zit, you're like, oh no, everybody sees, and um, and so if such a high rate of people are doing it, then likely as a teenager, we're going to face some pressure directly or indirectly to do it, to just fit in and not be seen as a, uh, I don't know, <laughs> whether it's some goody two shoes or, you know, whatever, um, and just not, not be pushed to the outside, even if they're not trying to be the most popular kid in school, just trying to fit in. Yeah. I think those are very relevant points. And I think often teens can feel their identity is tied up in participating in these kinds of experiences. Uh, Even teens that don't acknowledge it in their youth group or to their parents, that can often be a central thing. And I think we need to equip our teens to fight this by understanding fear of man. How do we actually then equip teens to resist the pressure to drink in college or even earlier? Well, the kind of the flip side of fear of man is the fear of the Lord. And so teach them ab- about a big God and help them to grow in the fear of the Lord. The, they're not going to do that if they have a, the, 
you know, something we talk about often on here, the moralistic therapeutic deism, that's their view of who God is and what Christianity is, then fear of man's probably going to be high, fear of the Lord pretty low. But if we give them an accurate picture of who God is and we talk about his glory and his power and his authority and uh, his grace and all of that, that's going to help help them. It's not going to ensure that they will fear the Lord, but it's going to help them on that road. Um, also, we I mentioned earlier the interview we had with Dan Estes on Proverbs uh, and the need to grow in wisdom, uh, because as they grow in wisdom, they're better able and equipped to make decisions about these kinds of things and to look and say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. Um, that's one thing that dishonors God because I'm breaking the law. Two, uh, I don't want to end up in a ditch dead or kill somebody else or uh, all, all the different things that can go along with that. Just being able to evaluate, take what God has said and put it into real practice in life. Uh, then you talked about identity and that kind of stuff. If they can find their identity in Christ, in union with him and with his people and in their family before they find it with their friends or in these activities, that's going to be a big help too. There's a sense of security that comes from that. Uh, and usually the scare tactics don't work. Um, if you just try to beat them over the head and oh, this could happen and all this, you know, you're going to end up, you know, dead on the side of the road or all, these kinds of things. Generally, if, if, that's not going to persuade someone that may be a help to someone who's already becoming persuaded that it's wrong or that it's a bad decision or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it gets to the issues of the heart. Yeah. So I, I think those are some great points. I, I think we also need to show them where their identity comes from, because I think so much of the sphere of man stuff for teens can be finding their identity and their peer group. Uh, but they need to understand that who they are, who have the, even their acceptance ultimately must come from what Jesus has done for them, uh, how Jesus has set them apart. Uh, and with that, that means Jesus sets them apart to be aliens of this world, which we've talked about before. And our youth ministry talks about like all the time. Uh, but yeah. uh, we and I think we should help them to understand that they are aliens. You know, they will miss out on some things and they should expect that they should expect to be seen as odd to be the person that doesn't participate in this. When 78 percent of youth are admitting it for all we know, it could be 95 percent are actually doing <laughs> That's it. That's right. You know? Yeah. How many are lying? Yeah. Uh, teens lie breaking news so <laughs> anyway so and do it a lot to adults too uh but i think deal frankly with the cost of following jesus as well because i think that they need to understand you know that following jesus making much of jesus isn't just something where it's about avoiding certain things but it will actually actively cost you it will actively make your life at times harder and you might lose those friendships uh, because you're seen as kind of the uh that the puritanical uh, that christian in this sense yeah so i mean i i know the term you mean um i think some today wouldn't even know what that was but yeah that's true. So, uh, and puritanical is, is probably not the best uh, descriptive term because it is not accurate of English Puritans who really enjoyed life for the glory of God in a lot of ways. They just didn't like playing board games on Sundays. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but uh, must all Christians avoid all alcohol and reinstate national prohibition? Is that kind of the, the clear Christian cause? 
like I said, man, go big or go home. I don't think we can support that biblically for sure. Um, I don't think that the Bible gives us direct ways on how we should run our country. I think there's obviously there are some things, protection of human life and property and things like that, but then how that all looks again, that's, that's a matter of debate, but uh, no, I don't think that all Christians are called to abstain from alcohol. And that if you have a sip of it, um, that you are defying the living God and there's no way that something like that would get through Congress. Um, our, our culture has thoroughly embraced alcohol and uh, no, I, I don't think that's on our conscience at all. Yeah. So I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this because I think that there has been even that push to limit alcohol consumption or the mentality that any drinking of alcohol uh, really did come from some Christian movements, unfortunately, uh, and and was very powerful in Baptist circles at, at times in in history. Less so Presbyterians. We I know we have some Presbyterians that listen to us, uh, but I, I agree with you. The Bible does not condemn any partaking in alcohol. Uh, I you know some of the responses that people have can can be unfortunate in ways that we can be very legalistic about this. Um, my wife used to watch uh, the show Seven. Kids and Counting, or maybe by now it's probably like 38 Kids and Counting. Uh, and uh, there was an episode where uh, the family, the Duggars in the show, they are, it's a documentary show, they are teetotalers. They, they abstain from alcohol and believe any touching of it is sin. And one of the children was getting married, and they were not having alcohol, of course, at the reception. And they kind of interviewed the the child's soon-to-be father-in-law about it, and as well as I think his pastor was with him, and a, kind of an explanation of why it's wrong. And uh, the, this person, this future father-in-law of the Duggar child, uh, said, "You know, the the word in the Bible that's translated wine actually means grape juice." Which is fascinating because actually the word in the Bible that's translated wine in the New Testament is winios, which is the word from which the word wine came from. Literally, it's transliterated wine. So no, it's not grape juice. Uh, And so the Bible does deal with this. I mean, Paul encouraged Timothy to drink. Now, it was a different context, and part of that was a significant aspect, if not if not the entirety of that was medicinal. Uh, but even uh, the Bible even kind of does celebrate some degree of wise drinking as, as something that's okay, something that's uh, even something to be enjoyed. I mean, Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. I, I literally don't know of a Bible verse that could be more more clear that it is not sin in this way for anyone to participate in this in moderation. Uh, and then I think we even see the kind of the purpose and how God has created alcohol. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, 26, I think is a, so, and spend money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. To me, that is pretty clear, strong permission uh, for consuming alcohol in Obviously, in moderation, he's not saying, you know, go get tanked for the glory of God. Um, and the, I, I think both of us would agree that that's not what he's saying. So, uh, and, and I think another couple other interesting things related to this are that John, I know John MacArthur, who's that great theologian, has really influenced a lot of my ministry and a lot of my thoughts and things. Uh, he argues that 
alcohol consumption is is unwise, at least for for uh, Christians, that we should abstain. And one of the reasons why he does was he says that wine at the time of the biblical times uh, is was about 5% alcohol by volume, uh, which there's some debate even as to whether that's true. Uh, the I mean, there's, there's some evidence now that there was stronger alcohol available that some people would drink. Uh, but even if that's the case, I mean, essentially he's saying that we should not drink alcohol because alcohol was the strength of the most prominent alcohol today, which is beer. I mean, beer is about 5% alcohol by volume. So, uh, and, but then even Jesus, I, I think the, maybe the most powerful argument, I think that the Bible does not prohibit this for all Christians is, is John 2.10, uh, where it was the wedding of Canaan, uh, and uh, the Jesus had turned water into wine. And there's some fascinating comment made about this. Uh, and I'll read John 2.10. And, and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then they pour the wine. And then, uh, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. Now, in that context, the difference between the good and bad wine was how much it was watered down. Because people basically these big vats at a wedding. And they would water it down as the wedding went so that they constantly had wine for people to drink in these long festivals. But Jesus made such strong wine out of the water that it was actually stronger wine than the wine that they started this wedding with, uh, which I think is just such a relevant point for uh, the permissiveness on this. Uh, but ultimately, we don't have the right to forbid what God has made good, and we don't have the right to even, I think, set in rules for even church leadership that would have disqualified Jesus himself from being a leader in the church. Uh, and in fact, I think we should value self-control for ourselves and for our children and not act like Christians have to be enslaved to anything with this mentality, you know, that anybody can be, that this is so powerful that one sip of it is going to control us. Well, if that's the case, self-control is not a biblical principle at all. So, I think you make a lot of good points that have been well thought out. And you and I have talked a lot about this over the years. And uh, I, I see good arguments on both sides. Um, clear, and, and I'm not convinced that it, it is sinful, um, though. I mean, I have connections with a number of people and, and was raised in circles where it was looked at pretty, um, pretty negatively. And, uh, and that influenced my own perception of it. In studying scripture, the more you look, I think you're right. It, it does not condemn it outright. Um, though I would agree with some people that say, well, there is there is something to be said for just saying, I'm going to, to make the decision to um, to step away. Um, I have the freedom to, to partake or not, and so I'm going to use my freedom not to. Um, but I, I, I do like your point about self-control and how – um, if we just say, well, you can't even have a sip of it, then there must be no power of the Holy Spirit to give us that self-control. Uh, and I think that's an issue of conscience for some people and knowing their own tendencies towards sin. And uh, I mean, I think it's a complex issue that individuals need to make with their Bible open and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, what would be what would help them love God and love people most? And for some that that would be to, to receive it with thanks, uh, for others, it would not be, um, cause I mean, 
we were talking, joking about teenagers drinking less because they can't put their cell phones down. There's a whole <laughs> lot of adults that can't put their cell phones down either. Um, and so, and they should have more self-control. And sometimes I'm there. I, I need to yeah. put the thing down. Um, I've really worked over the last two, three years at curbing my use, taking apps off my phone, taking off notifications, different things like that. Uh, but I still, I, I, there are times when I need to put it down and not just amuse myself with whatever's coming up on the screen um, as I scroll down. But yeah. that issue of, of self-control, there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of it. No, and so, um, so anyway, it, it is a complicated issue. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, it creates more heat than light often. And um, there are pitfalls on both sides. I was having a conversation with our, our student pastor um, a little while ago about some in uh, crowds that we may know that, you know, partaking of certain things, it's like, well, I'm free in Christ. And there's a yeah. um, almost an abuse of that freedom, not really using the freedom so that they can love others. It's just it's free so that I can do what I want. And uh, it's more self-focused kind of thing, um, personal liberty. And, uh, but then there's also the other side that, well, we know you're a Christian. If you trust in, if you've repented of your sin, trusted in Christ and you don't ever drink alcohol, then, then we can be confident that you know the Lord. And that's also, I mean, that's a, you know, go to Galatians. That's a dangerous thing too. Yeah. That's almost a false gospel there. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not even almost pretty much is a false gospel. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And I think all of this is to say, uh, with this topic, I, this was not the purpose of the podcast was not a hashing out of of why it's okay for some adults to drink alcohol. Uh, you know, I clearly believe that the scripture is very clear on this and that we can't put the rules over scripture. But I think that this question is actually relevant in sorting this out so that we can wisely encourage and help parents make decisions in regards to whether or not they imbibe and whether or not they don't and how they can handle these from a biblical perspective. So uh, with that said, how can parents who imbibe in alcohol show their children the importance of moderation and of waiting? Because obviously that to moderation is all well and good, but a, nine, a nine-year-old in a home still can't have some vodka. Uh, I think first you do it responsibly and just in general in life, have self-control, let them see you having self-control, like with the phone, don't always be on your phone or overeating, uh, indulging in sweets too much, all all kinds of things like that. Um, I'd say don't make jokes about intoxication or always, oh man, I need a drink. I need a drink. Um, Even if it's said in jest, um, I think those are just two simple ways that come to mind. What are your thoughts? Mm. So I agree that uh, we should practice moderation. I think one thing actually with it is, uh, you know, both you and I agree that, you know, we can't be legalistic on other people, but there is nothing wrong actually for somebody that, you know, I know many Christians, including yourself, and have set a rule on self not to drink. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in fact, it's God glorifying if it's done for the glory of him and if it's not done for self-righteous purpose. But with that in mind, I think those that do drink, I think it's really, really wise to set self-limits and to follow them. You know, And to be clear, you know, even for your whole family that, you know, Dad might enjoy a beer uh, or even two beers, but dad's not going to have the third drink of alcohol, period. 
I'm just not. And no situation is, you know, dad going to participate or mom going to have that, you know, second glass of wine or whatever that limit is. I think to show that it doesn't control you by following those self uh, put in place limits. So uh, that's wise. I mean, just even letting them know this is this is where my line is and yeah, let them see you keeping it. Well, and I think with that, too, I think we talk openly and honestly about the dangers of alcohol. And I think with that, I think we even apply it to ourselves, not just as like, oh, you stay away from the alcohol, stay away from drinking now or stay away from getting drunk because you don't want to become like so and so. But you say, you know, you know, mom or dad, we have to be careful because we know that we might not glorify Jesus in in the best way or we might make a, a poor decision if we drink a little bit too much. So we need to be very careful. And that's why we're holding it from you for now until, you know, you're at an age where it's legal, an age where you can make your own wise decision for this. Yeah, I think that that's good counsel. And, and in my personal decision, some of it is out of um, submitting to authorities that I'm under. Um, if if I was not having to make that decision, I probably still wouldn't for multiple reasons, one of which I don't like it. Two, I, I'm just frugal and it, there's just other ways I'd want to spend my money. But um, just to give a little window into how I'm thinking about it. And, um, but yeah, I, I like how you're approaching that. So um, then on the flip side, how can parents who abstain from alcohol uh, keep alcohol from becoming the kind of forbidden fruit in their family? Well, that's a good question to ask because that can be and just in the the circles I was in in the South, uh, Bible Belt, evangelical culture, which I, you know, there's a lot going on right now with people kind of in our generation, looking back at that and, and throwing rocks at how bad and awful and oppressed they were with the purity culture and the true love weights and everything else. I, you know, that's not what I'm doing. Um, but yes, it was seen as, uh, you know, sex and drinking were very high up on the list of the, the worst things you could do. And, and I don't want, when my children become teenagers, I don't want them going on drunken sex, sex capades or something like that. Um, I mean, that doesn't honor the Lord, but I think that you need to work at recalibrating your conscience. If, if it has become the forbidden fruit, uh, it'd be a good practice to look at scripture. You, you were doing a good job at bringing out different places where alcohol is mentioned in the Bible and, and look through and see what scripture holds up as the most important categories morally. And alcohol isn't at the top of the priority list, though it, it is addressed more than once and it's addressed in Old and New Testaments and Old and New Covenant, but it's not held up as like the, the highest sign of godliness. Um, God is, is more concerned about our love and our holiness in various ways, which it may work itself out. Uh, how we use or don't use alcohol uh, is a demonstration of our love and our holiness, uh, but it's not at the top of the list. And so just having a more biblical look at it um, and again, recalibrating the conscience to go, oh, okay, maybe this, I've put this too high up on the, um, this is a, I'm making this a weightier matter than the Bible makes it. Hmm. So some good points. Uh, the only thing I would add uh, to this is I think make clear that the sin behind getting drunk with their buddies isn't only alcohol related. Uh, because as much as, you know, going and 
going to parties or, or hanging out with your buddies and getting and drinking a lot of alcohol uh, is the, the getting drunk is a sin. The uh, disobeying the law is a sin. But uh, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, there are other issues behind that that you also need to prepare them to deal with from a biblical perspective. In some ways, other issues that are more life encompassing than even getting drunk or disobeying the law. So what happens if we attach a greater stigma to teen drinking than adult drunkenness? Or even just attach a greater stigma to teen drinking getting drunk than adults getting tipsy in a way that is extremely common uh, in, so, in sometimes quote-unquote socially acceptable ways? Hmm. Yeah, I think it may drive some to drink just in, in rebellion because they're resentful. Uh, I think for parents, it can become an issue of self-righteous anger if, uh, you know, they, they have this attitude uh, and then their teen does it, then can, the way that they view it is not gracious. And I, I don't think most parents want their, their children drinking, um, especially to the point of drunkenness, but it could lead to this, I would never do this. I can't believe you. I think, too, just from the church and other adults in the church, it can lead to just a, a pride. It may not lead to the self-righteous anger, but just a pride in a distancing ourselves from the next generation that could um, wear some of the ties that may have been there, and it could it could hurt the church down the line. I think those are some really good points. So, I need to be aware that this kind of issue can happen. There can be very real examples of that kind of hypocrisy. Uh, and unfortunately, I think Christian men and women can both nonchalantly get tipsy and glorify. You know, even, even now the Instagram posts of moms stuck at home with their kids drinking the third glass of wine or whatever it is. So, right. uh, and I agree, it does take away the force of our words. And uh, teens are so uniquely sensitive to hypocrites. Like, it's like they have like a hypocrisy detector, like attached to their <laughs> arms or something like that. So, uh, but, um, I, I one might even argue that most alcohol sins in churches are probably not being done by teens. Uh, and so as much as we do want to address this from uh, from a family perspective largely on teens, it is really worth noting that uh, if we act like this is just a teen problem, I think we're missing the point and and we just uh, we just kind of make them frustrated in a way that biblically we're commanded not to do. That's a really good point. Next week, we'll do gluttony. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, and kids will detect my hypocrisy, my fat self-hypocrisy on that. <laughs> so how do we, alongside our children, grow in the biblical practice of self-control? Well, pray for grace, first of all. And I don't just say that as a throwaway thing. I mean, yes, you've got to seek the Lord for his help to change because self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so it is the spirit's work in us. Um, I think you want to look at your own desires and examine whether or not they're godly. And then look at how you try to fulfill those desires and evaluate, uh, is this a godly way or is this not a godly way? And, you know, you're going to end up in different places on that. Sometimes that it may be a fine desire that has grown to a demand. Um, sometimes it's just a flat out, sinful desire, but maybe what's behind it may not be as sinful. Um, you're wanting some relief from something, 
you know, to relax, whatever. But then once you're able to identify that, make some sort of plan, whether that's you as an adult or as a parent, or you're working with your child, because even when they're young, I mean, like you mentioned that there's the issue of children drinking, and I have, I've heard a number of things um, to that effect, but most children, I think at this point are not going to be drinking alcohol, but they do need to learn self-control and that's going to help them when they're teenagers and then when they launch out on their own, but help them to make a plan for whenever you experience those desires, how you're going to engage them. Mm -hmm. And if the way that they've been trying to fulfill those desires is an ungodly way, then making a new, working to make a new response. That's good. So, um, I think I really have much to add to that, but I think that's is a great encouragement. Those who have been listening, uh, as ultimately so much of this is really about self-control, and self-control manifests itself in so many different issues, not just this. And I think when we equip people, including ourselves, to have self-control, we have the ability to resist these kinds of things, and, and it's not some kind of magic uh, thing dangling over us that's going to control us. Good word. Amen. So, well, th- Ben, thanks for having this discussion with me. Uh, listeners, be assured we did not have this at a pub or, or in any place that we could have consumed alcohol. We are socially distancing ourselves right now. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> anyway, God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.